tap into the psychology of engagement and more. This is where we talk about life, learning, and everything in between. This is the Lifelong Podcast, a show for those of you who love to ask why. Because we're marketers. It's because we're coaches. It's because we're change makers. Each week, we dive into the big questions and explore the psychology of engagement with strategies, tactics, and special guests along the way. Now, here's your guide, the visibility hacking queen herself, Coach Molly. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Lifelong Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Molly from visibilityhacking.com, and I am so excited you guys are here with me today especially those of you who are living in the United States of America, because today I want you to start taking action. Our guest today is literally changing the world, and I want you to be part of that change. The world is going to be a different place when we all emerge from lockdowns, wherever we are in the world, and it's our opportunity to really make the change in our societies that we have been feeling that we need inside of our gut. And I'm so excited to have this conversation. I really am. I really am. So I'll give you guys a little bit of backstory into why I am so passionate about this idea um, and about this movement. Because when I was in high school, I was probably 15, 16 years old. I ended up getting an incredible volunteer opportunity to work with my school board, the biggest school board in the country. And we were going through this massive change where we were trying to understand how can we create better moments for student success? How can we look at the statistics that our dropout rates are so incredibly high? And what can we do to change that? And so instead of just saying, oh, well, the traditional option tells us that we need to keep more kids in school, that clearly wasn't working. So we decided to try a completely radical approach. And what we did was we went to the students and we interviewed tens of thousands of students about what their definition of success was. Who were their role models that really helped define their path that they were taking as young people who were emerging into our society as adults? And what we realized was that what our idea of success was up at the school board is totally different than what our students were saying. And that when we decided to get off our pedestal and to really just listen to each other and to have those conversations, we completely redefined what it meant to graduate from high school. And so because we were brave and because we realized that if we let go of some of that power and we have those conversations with our stakeholders and we say, how can we do better together? We changed the requirements for graduation. You no longer needed senior science and senior math classes, which were a struggle for most of us. But now you could graduate with um, co-op classes in in those categories instead. You could do apprenticeships so that we now had a generation of students who were graduating ready to jump into the workforce because that's how we were able to define success for them. And it's when we have these conversations, my friends. So I am so, so honored to have our guest with us today. So I, as usual, I don't introduce my guests because they can speak the best for themselves. So who are you, my guest, and and what are you doing here? (laughs) All right. Well, my name is Nancy Purcell, and I am here with a a grassroots movement uh, for America, you know, as you said, and it's called Reach Across the Aisle because we have a problem right now with our two-party system. The, um, our elected leaders are having a really hard time working together. And it's not hard to understand if you, if you take a look at it like you did, you, know, you, you have to analyze the problem. It takes a lot to um, become you know, the person who wins the election. And I think maybe I'm getting a 
ahead of myself a little bit. I don't know if you want to know a little bit more about me first. I kind of jumped right into the movement. That's kind of who I am. That's what well, I'm that's about. A, that's a perfect teaser. So tell us about who you are and what inspired you to start this movement in the first place. Yeah. So, so your story uh, is really touches my heart because I was an English teacher for 30 years and I was always looking for ways to reach my students and to change things up. In fact, I got rid of every desk in my classroom. Actually, I had a few around the corners for people that were comfortable in a desk, but we had beanbag chairs and they had backs on them. And it worked out so well for English because I could have them pick up their chairs and we could be a circle for a big discussion. They could go back to back. They could be in little living rooms for cooperative learning. I mean, it was amazing how great it was and because I realized that our classrooms looked just like they did in the 1800s, even though we had computers. So I'm, I'm one who really likes to look at what's going on and, and change things up as well. So um, that's a little bit about me. I'm also a mom. I raised three children. I have two grandchildren. So, you know, feel really blessed in that regard. I'm a writer. Um, I've written two books. One, uh, many years ago, and then one just recently, and it's called Stop Twisting the Knife. And it's a, a book on how to look at actually addiction recovery in a different way. So it, it's a novel because I'm not a psychologist, but it's a novel that explores some ideas. So it's kind of a good fun read, fun, I don't know if it's fun, but it's uplifting. Um, so those are some things about me. So what inspired you to get involved in politics of all things? I know, right? I Everybody who knows me is kind of like, wow, this is different for you. It, it just was, I was at a point, probably like a lot of people during the pandemic, I had more than the usual amount of time to think about what was going on, maybe pay attention to what was going on. It was um, an election year. And I actually was talking to my kids and I mentioned reach across the aisle and they didn't know what that expression meant. And I thought, well, how can they not know? And I thought it's because nobody's doing that. We're not talking about reaching across the aisle. So yeah. that was really kind of the beginnings of it. And I thought, wow, this, we need to talk about this. You know, we need to change it. And how could I do it? And I thought, I want to start a movement. I want to start a grassroots movement and get people to wear t-shirts that say reach across the aisle. And in that way, we can maybe raise the consciousness, you know, of people across the country, because it takes a lot to get involved in a political movement. And quite often people don't have a lot of time. I know I didn't when I was working, raising my family, you know, I, I felt like I was really involved if I remembered to vote, you know, and I think that's where a lot of people are. And so uh, if we can make it easy, but yet effective, then we can get people involved. And I think this is an important time because we just had an election where more people voted than ever before. So maybe we're starting to gain that perspective again and that belief that each individual does matter. It, you know, you should vote, you should care, you should do something because it can make a difference. So that was absolutely, yeah. Long answer. I, <laughs> I think one of the first times I really had that moment of politics is important. Politics matters. My voice matters. I was 13, 14 years old and I was living in France. And in France, the way that their electoral system works is so different than anything I had ever experienced. So what they do there is, you, anyone can run for office. Anyone can run to be president. So I've lived, I lived in France through two different elections. One had 14 candidates. The other had 17 candidates and they went from as far right to as far left and everything in between. And it was this beautiful diversity of opinion. I may not have agreed with everything everyone said, but it was incredible that people were allowed to speak. People engaged in a meaningful debate rather than just nitpicking against each other. They weren't getting more and more entrenched in their sides. Instead, they were starting to talk about issues and 
and, and problems and solutions. And I thought that was really magical. So don't worry, the French electoral system, you vote on the mass number of candidates and then whoever the top two candidates are, they go on to a second round. So you really do end up with that either or black and white um, option at the end, but you're allowed, you, they create this beautiful space for discussion. And I thought that was so empowering. And then I started learning about politics in the States and it's this, there are third party candidates, but it's so much the Democrats and the Republicans, and they're getting more and more entrenched. And they're, they're creating now that we have so much more social media and we're moving away from more mass media, facts are getting twisted and things are just being painted in the wrong way. So for those who are listening, my younger listeners who are listening, who they probably are the same as your kids when you were mentioning the idea of reaching across the aisle. What does that mean? Yeah, so yeah, really. Um, and you know what? It, it just means to listen and talk with somebody who might have a different idea than you have, just as you did when you went out and talked to all those students to find out what it is they were thinking an education meant or, you know, a high school diploma meant. That's, that's what we need to do is talk with each other. So reach across the aisle is for our politicians and it's also for our everyday citizens. So this movement has a much broader purpose because we do tend to talk to the people who agree with us because it's very affirming and I guess it's natural to, to kind of hang out with people who like the same things that you like, you do the same things. Um, I like to do yoga. My best friends tend to be yogis, you know? Um, I'm friends with other people, but it's a natural thing. But if we're really going to move forward together, and if we really value diversity, which the older I get, I realize that that's really important. That's not just something you say so you sound like you're an inclusive person. If it really, if you really look at what's going on, we do need all these different ideas and then we can come up with the best solutions. Especially in a country as diverse as the United States of America. And I'm saying like you have some of the biggest, most urban centers in the world. You have incredibly rich rural communities as well. You have people whose families have lived in the country for generations on generations. And you have a thriving number of people who are coming, who are new, who are bringing a different kind of new enthusiasm and energy to your country. And that is from a Canadian perspective, diversity is, I think, Canada's biggest strength. When I walk outside my door, I'm in a city where I can eat from foods from around the world. And when I'm there, I can have conversations with these business owners about why, what inspired you to bring this food from your homeland here? And it's because it's this, it opens up those conversations. It creates those moments where we can really see human to human. It doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter if you feel like you need to be taxed more or less or whatever. It's human to human. How do we find solutions that work together? And that can be hard. Um, so what do you, what do you, what's your advice to people who are like, I don't want to talk to someone who has a differing opinion. I tried that at Thanksgiving. My uncle's just, he, I just can't. I just leave the room when he starts talking. Like how, how do we start local? How do we start within those conversations with our own families and our friend circles when those conversations feel so difficult? I really think key to starting is you do have to have a desire. Mm. You have to have a desire to communicate with with other people, to get along with other people. And I really think key is not trying to change that person. Mm -hmm. And I think especially with political conversations, we often are desperately trying to get the other person to agree with us or to feel about a topic the way that we feel. And so you have to talk with somebody and not try to change them. Just try to listen to them and honor who they are, 
and see what it is that you can learn from them. And if each person enters the conversation with that as the goal, I think it's less scary. Yeah, because we're each coming from a different worldview. We each, and that's not a bad thing. The, the people who are around me, the environment that I'm around, the TV channels that I listen to, they're all helping inspire my perspective on the world. And the same thing is happening for my weird uncle who doesn't exist. I, all my uncles are fantastic. Just saying, love you guys. Thanks for listening. Um, but maybe you have that family member or that friend who has a completely different worldview because what they hold as their values are going to be slightly different. What is important for them? Or going back to my example at the beginning of the show, what is your definition of success? That is going to be different depending on who you are, where you are, and your circle of influence around you as well. So my friends, it starts at home. It starts with those conversations of just connecting with each other. It's not about persuasion. It's not about bullying people into believing what you believe. It's about finding that commonality and listening to understand who people are. I, I think that's really powerful. What are you finding, Nancy, is the biggest obstacle to getting your movement off the ground and really making that big change? So I think it's uh, people will uh, quite often like what I'm doing. They're, they believe in it, but they don't go the next step to actually help move it along. They personally agree with it, but they might not actually go ahead and get a shirt and wear it or post on social media about it. So I think that that's where um, I need to kind of figure out how to get people to realize that they are important and that they can move it along. You know, I have a yoga uh, instructor who at the end of class always says, You've made the world a better place simply by coming to do yoga. Mm -hmm. And so I would think, well, really, you know, me, I mean, I've tried to make my world better by doing yoga mm -hmm. for me, it's healthy and so forth, but how have I made the world a better place? But I'm beginning to understand that I actually have the time we live our truth, speak our truth, feel more centered, more grounded. Uh, we can make the world a better place. And, you know, there's something called apparel activism. And so it's, it's actually interesting because when we wear a shirt with a slogan, you know, and there are, you know how there are, there's just like a million shirts with slogans on them. Yeah. People do notice. I notice. And if I'm at the grocery store, I find myself reading somebody's shirt or they've been to a concert or they've been to a city and they, get a t-shirt, you know, we are kind of affected by it. So even if someone doesn't come up and start talking to you about it, it doesn't mean that they didn't notice. Yeah, absolutely. You can. So I, I need to get people to understand that it really can be important just to throw on this shirt when you're going out to run an errand, just do it. You know, it might feel like you didn't do anything that day, but you honestly can make a difference, you know, and then if you want to get on our uh, website, twopartiesonesolution.com. If you go there, I have a, a number of blogs and we have some ideas for how people can get involved in the movement. And there's, you know, there are various ways that, that you can do depending on your commitment. You can just buy a shirt. You could buy a shirt and take your picture and send it to your senator and representatives. It's a little tricky uh, to get that done. Sometimes you have to do that via their Facebook page, their standard form won't accept a picture, um, but you could do that. You could buy a shirt and then you could ask a friend to wear your shirt and take your friend's picture. So I'm not really, I mean, I'd like to sell some t-shirts for sure I would, but it's, that's not what it's about. You know, you could buy one shirt and get 20 pictures out of it. That's okay. <laughs> More people wearing them, the better, you know, I just love if I would run into somebody random on the street wearing a shirt, I would know we're getting somewhere. Um, is but, the t-shirt part a necessary part of the movement or could we build in a, if we create a ladder, for example, and we say that we want people to buy the shirt, that's one part of the ladder. And then the next step, we need them to take another action, which is to take the pictures. Then we need the, which they can share on their personal 
profile to get that conversation going within their arm's reach community. But then the next action we need them to take is to then try and get it to their representatives in a different way. So if we recognize that we have three steps there, we could maybe build in a first, like an earlier step that doesn't require the financial step. And it could be so much easier if we created maybe templates like social media templates, got your got a really great branded hashtag for you and just started asking people to post with the hashtag. That's it. Just get the conversation going. You could even design like a a 10 day challenge or something to say, okay, guys, if you're really into this two parties, one solution thing, then for the next 10 days, I want every single one of you guys to write a story about how this matters to you on your social platforms and share it with the same hashtag. You get that grassroots. Yeah. You get that going, you get that conversation going and you're asking people to step into a storytelling mode. And as an English teacher, I'm sure you will love this idea where when we tell stories, this is why I started this episode with a story. When we tell stories, we frame the experience in a way that our listeners can step into that story and see themselves as that part of that solution, as opposed to, oh, it's just a picture, that's a nice shirt. People might not even notice the shirt. They might just notice, oh, Nancy's got great hair and what a smile. And they might not even look deeper into the photo. So if you start out saying, here's your 10-day challenge, start posting these stories, you do it as well to lead by example. And then at the end of those 10 days, you can start, it's a little bit of work, but you can get a team together if you want, but you you collect the names of all of the people who are actively participating and then message them after and say, hey, it's been incredible to have you part of this challenge and then give them a personal invitation to purchase the shirt and take that next level. So I talk about uh, when it comes to community engagement and, and nurturing community, we all know that when we have an identity that we can put on, we're less likely to turn our back on that movement. So when people put on the cape of I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, that entrenches them into their team, right? And it makes it a lot less likely they're going to turn their back um, on, on on their movement. So if you create an identity name, like name your people, my people are visibility hackers. So your people are I don't know. I don't know. The middle ground or something like that. Like give them an actual name where you can jump on. And every time you start a story, you introduce them and you say, hey, middle grounders, how are you guys doing today? It gives them that identity. You solidify that identity with the shirt, which is what we would consider armor. So now they have a cape. Now they have a flag to fly to say, this is what I believe in. And that way, again, we're deepening that relationship to their community and they're going to be less likely to turn their back and significantly more likely to start spreading that word. You start the momentum slowly with not big obstacles. When you have to order a t-shirt, people have to pull out their credit card. They have to go onto the form. They have to fill that out. Then they have to wait for the shirt. That, That excitement that they've gotten that serotonin and dopamine that's flying around in their brain when they're like, I'm so excited. This is so inspiring. It's going to die down before they even get that shirt. So now we're asking them to take two more big steps after that. They're less likely to do it. But if we get that momentum going first, where they're, they're into this hashtag, it's working really, really well. If you look at like um, the end child or end sex trafficking and human trafficking stuff. They're all about the hashtag first. Then that inspires the next action. If in some cases or in a lot of the like human tra- ending human trafficking campaigns that we're seeing right now, they get that momentum going with a hashtag and then it inspires the next action, which everyone's taking like individual actions and starting their own campaigns off of that. But if you as the campaign manager start that momentum and give them a place to go next, like buy the t-shirt, then it keeps, it keeps it going. So the people who are starting with that challenge, they're telling their stories. They're talking about how, Hey, I sat down with my grandpa today and I just had a conversation and I started to see the world from his side of, of, 
of the coin. And it was a really beautiful moment where we connected as humans. That's going to inspire someone to have that same kind of conversation. So they're getting into this idea. They're starting to be part of the movement. Then there's people who have already ascended. They've purchased the shirts. Now those people who are just starting in the challenge go, oh, it's more than just this powerful conversation. I want to be that person with the shirt. I believe in this movement. I've seen a result already. In one day, I've seen a result. So now I want to buy the shirt. Now I want to take more action. So that could be something that's really easy to do that would work for your movement. That's a great idea. I, I think I'll put that right into action. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm going to run through a bit of a formula, a bit of a framework that I use that I, I dug up from my high school years, uh, but it works. So I'm going to ask you some questions. And then uh, these are also things that you can like think about deeper moving forward that might help you create a really impactful plan. And I think you have a lot of these pieces in play. You just might not have them connected in the right way. So here we go. First thing is to brainstorm your stakeholders. So first level of stakeholders is community members. So people who are already involved in your community, people who are already taking action. That's your A group. Those are your people who are, you're going to ask for help. You're going to look to them for resources. They have bought into this idea. You cannot carry a house on your own. You need everyone's help, right? So that's your first group that you need to think about. Second group is who is just beyond your arm's reach. Who are people who are on your, like, I need these people as part of my movement. And they're maybe one step away. Maybe your local pastor has a connection to that person, or maybe um, your city councilor has a connection to that person, or uh, maybe someone within your community has a connection to that person. So think about who, how you can start to widen, or I like to think about it as how do you let your movement breathe? As we breathe, our, our rib cage expands to allow for that space. So how can you do that? Where is that? Where are those connections that you can take? And then the third thing would be, who are the community leaders? You're going to identify some of those in the last step, but who are the community leaders that you really want to get on board with this? And how are you going to, to address that? How are you going to connect with those people? So do you have connections to people who you would identify as community leaders already in your network? No. Okay. I I haven't done that yet. I haven't thought about it in those yeah. terms. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, of it more just, I guess I thought grassroots being just kind of spreading, you know, word of mouth and that people would certainly see the need for it and it would just, you know, just run with it. But <laughs> I also realized that I've, I've been able to live most of my life without getting involved in politics and I think I've a lot of other people have too. So it, yeah, it's not just as easy as, you know, as I would like it to be. Yeah. So connecting with people, if we take this from a non-political area and we, we look at social media business, right? A lot of it is based around influencers. So you don't need to pick an influencer who, who's trying to push fitness products to someone, but think about your teachers, for example, they are community leaders. They are influencers. People look up to them and the way that they run their life, the way that they talk about a subject. They're, they have the ability and the space to influence people's um, ideas and their impressions and their perspectives of the world. Then we go up to very traditional type community leaders like our city councilors and our mayors and our, our candidates who run for office even if they're not successful, they have taken a step. They have said to the world, I want to lead. Those are the kind of people you want to connect with because they are significantly more, especially if they're involved in politics already, they're more likely to be all over social media, already have a following. And one single post from those people could generate thousands of people connecting to your movement that way. So think about that. Right. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> and even just, um, especially now that we're a lot more people are, are, or a lot more events are going online, like networking opportunities can happen on Zoom, like we're doing right now, um, or they can happen um, in bigger, like event type things that are happening online. But it allows you 
entrance to those conversations in a way that you might not have had earlier, especially from a geographical perspective. You can now connect with people and community leaders from across the country, all from, from your kitchen if you want to. So that would be really impactful. And I know there are a ton, especially for my generation of community leaders and inspired community leaders who want to have this conversation. They just don't know how. So if you create that language for everyone to connect with, you say the, the phrase we are coming back to is reaching across the aisle. How we define that is listening to each other and understanding our human connection. If you focus on that, people are going to eat that up. They just need the message and they need the place to gather people. There are foot, I like to think of it as there are tons of foot soldiers who are ready to take on your cause. You just need to lead them there. So there's that. Then we talk about representatives and actually actual people in government. So if we're trying to get the citizens to influence their, their community leaders and their representatives, why don't we go directly to representatives? We may not be able to get a, a call with every single one of them, but I am sure there's at least one person who is currently in office who would like to have this conversation. And that would be a great place to start. And again, ask these same questions of everyone in your community. Say, do you guys have a connection? Do you guys, you're a politically inclined person. Are, are you connected to anyone who's currently in office who would love to have this conversation? And I think that would be really, really powerful um, as well. And then finally, another thing I think you'll enjoy as a, as a former English teacher is connecting to your youth leaders, people, young people who are inspired to take to make change the next generation who we will hand this political system over to how can we inspire them to actively shape that environment so connecting to you know seniors in school who are looking for a community project or maybe a local church group their like 20 somethings group is looking for a way to connect to community and have those conversations those as a former youth inspired leader, it is definitely a powerhouse of not only people who have a ton of energy and a little bit more time on their hands, um, but it's also a, a community who is connected to a different language. They know social media in a way that older generations don't. So they could move this movement forward in a way you never even imagined. You just need to tap into them in the right way. So do you have a connection to some kind of a youth organization or youth group of some sort? I can definitely work on that. <laughs> yeah, I can get a connection. Yeah, these are not things that I have thought about, you know, so I appreciate <laughs> your ideas. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> All right, so next on our, uh, our list, so we talked about stakeholders. Now we're going to talk about obstacles. So what is the number one biggest reason people are not already on board with your movement? I think uh, overwhelmed uh, by what's been happening, you know, in the country. I mean, people were exhausted, you know, frankly, you know, after the election. And I realized that and I kind of backed off on posts and, and things because I thought everybody just needs some time to think about something else, you know, in their life uh, other than this. It was just so now the next thing that sets in is apathy again. You know, uh, everybody was all hyped up. That was exhausting. Now what? You know, yeah. so uh, I think that's the biggest obstacle. Yeah. I, when I was in university, I did a lot of work in like historical research on, um, on activism and movement making. And one of the most impactful things that has always stuck with me was in the 1960s and the 1970s during the women's movement, when women did this radical idea of coming together and having conversations with each other, like crazy idea that women would just come together and they would talk about what's going on in their life and, and what they can do about it. 
And from there, we had some of the most inspiring feminist um, speakers and movement makers come out of that. We had women's groups um, who were inspiring mothers to change the way that they were mothering their children and to raise them in a different way. And then we raised this generation of, of women of my generation who are totally, we have a totally different outlook on the world because our mothers were brave enough to have those conversations in, in their friends' living rooms. So can we can we create a space that's safe and comfortable and not necessarily steeped in politics where we can have those conversations? And I think that ties back to the idea of that, that challenge, that 10-day challenge of getting people to share their stories. We might not be able to get 10 women or 10 people in the same room together to have those conversations right now, but what we could do is inspire them to have those conversations and to share the outcomes of those um, on their social platforms and to nurture those conversations. Because, yeah, that apathy, that political apathy is totally, totally a thing that might completely derail any political movement. Well, and the more people just turn towards spending time with their devices yeah. and not with people, that just exacerbates the problem, you know? So I think once you've had, like I have a friend who has a different uh, party affiliation than I do, and we have the best conversations ever. We realize that we really want the same things. We absolutely do. And so um, if I think you have to get your feet wet, you have to give it a try. And uh, that's why I really love your idea about trying it and then, writing about it and sharing it because uh, we just need, I think, that little encouragement and something that we can do and, um, and then, and then spread the word. Yeah. And it starts with those living room conversations. That's how we get the fire going. And that's, Oh, I'm excited to see how this goes. I was a part of the women's movement. That was my generation. We did that. You know, and uh, and it wasn't easy always, you know, because you it was just as controversial. Exactly. People that believed uh, that you should a woman's place and all that sort of stuff. You know? And so uh, like any social change, it takes time. It does take a lot of work, conversations, but you have to feel passionate about it. And 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 then you can make a difference like you do. I just feel that passion in, in you and you have actually a lot of knowledge too of, you know about how to do it. it's because I grew up in a world where I had my mom is like the the strongest woman I've ever met she worked in an awesome environment in a newspaper where there was really strong women and really strong men and there was everyone's heads butted in these beautiful ways because they wanted the best way to get the story across. They want, they would argue and they would debate, but they would remain friends. And it's because they wanted that, that best product for people. And it taught me that I can totally disagree with, with people, with other people, but ultimately we are humans and it's our job to move our society forward. Everything, every system that we feel is oppressing us in one way, shape or form has been created by other human beings. So it's us as flesh and blood human beings who have the ability and the tools to shape that. And, and also going out of, out of the women's movement, I totally believe in using the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> So then we've talked about um, solutions. Now we can talk about identity and which we've kind of talked about already. So give your people a name, name your movement, something that, that, um, so your website is two parties, one solution. So your identity needs to be somehow tied to that. So like problem solvers might even work like something that you can they can say I am a problem solver I am a blank and that is they can then claim that identity for themselves and so we have this identity ascension um, where we start off with a lot of the people you're you're dealing with right now who are believers they believe in the cause 
The next step up is doers, the people who actually start taking action. And then we have the shapers, the people who are taking this and do and making something bigger and better out of it. So our believers are the people who are like, oh yeah, this is a great idea, Nancy. I'm going to like your post. I'm going to, I really support you, but I haven't taken that next step. And I might not take that next step, right? Then we have our doers who are like, Nancy, great idea. I'm totally on board with this. I'm by the shirt, take all the photos. That's great. And now we have to think about who are our shapers and how do we create that path for them? So if we have, so I think if we start with the idea of having that social media, that really grassroots movement, that's free for people to be part of. That's going to start creating that conversation and creating that dialogue, that language, uh, that framework in which inspired people who are ready to take action have a pathway to do that. And they're not just like, oh, I like Nancy's idea. That's cool. Thumbs up. Moving on to the next post. Give them an actual plan of attack. Give them the, these are the, maybe on your website, you do a list of all of the um, like get, grab some volunteers, do this, grab some volunteers, go through all of the state representatives you can find this, the, all of the representatives at every level of government, just create a database, all of their names, all of their email addresses. If you can find them, they're all on government websites, I think, and their social media profiles, do all of that. Then you can start collecting data from your people who are actively trying to send their pictures to representative so-and-so, and and they've tried on Twitter. It doesn't, their Twitter doesn't work. Their website is a form, so we're not going to go there. But if we post it directly to their Instagram or we tag them on Instagram, that will work. So each representative is going to have a different way of communicating with their people. Even if you're not directly talking to that representative and you're talking to their staff, it's still, um, it's still going to help move that needle forward. If you have that data available for your people and you say, hey, I'm going to make this one less obstacle for you to get in touch with these people, here's all their information, go. Even if you create a, remember old letter writing campaigns and how people used to actually sit down and write letters that were passionate And then people got busy. And so we started writing form letters that you could just fill in a couple blanks and sign. Make that form letter. Write down all of the key points that are important for your movement and have a letter that people can just copy and paste or start as the piece of inspiration that has the important points they need to head. That way, again, you're moving that next little obstacle away so that the path is clearer for them to take that action you want. Is that something you think you could do? It is. um, You know, I've always wondered about those form letters and how effective they really are, because I think that the less you have to do, you just, yep, click, I believe this, send it. It makes it easy, but I also think that the representatives know that that's all it was. So then have, have maybe not a fully written form, but point forms of like, this is going to be an effective letter. Like if, you know, letter writing, we used to do letter writing in school and my, in grade seven, actually talking about politics, grade seven, Miss Taylor's class, we did friendly letter writing and everyone had to pick someone, some celebrity they were going to write a letter to. So my friends are writing to pop singers and soccer stars, and I'm writing to the former prime minister of Canada. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I don't think he'll ever write back, but if I follow this formula, maybe it will work. And the formula was simple. It was like an introduction that gave them a little bit of a hook. The next paragraph is who you are and just introducing yourself and why you are important to this person. And then you have three different points that you want to get across and then a conclusion at the end. So if you use that same formula and you, you give people the points of like, okay, first, What's their hook? Why is this issue important to you? Answer that question in paragraph one. Paragraph two, who are you to this person? Are you a member of their constituency? Or have you met this person before? Do you have connections, like mutual connections to this person? Lay out why you are important to this person in paragraph two. Then Nancy comes up with three bullet points of why it's important, why this movement is important. Three bullet points. 
and inspire people to connect those bullet points to their own stories. And then finally, here's a conclusion, which is where we really nail home why this is important, bottom line, and the next step this person needs to take. Either, can you get back to me and let's have this conversation? Maybe you're hosting an event. Maybe you want to send them a shirt. Maybe, you know, whatever that next step is that you need to figure out that you want your politicians to actually take. A a very defined step. Don't just say, I'd like you to reach across the aisle they're going to be like, my party says no. So what is one very simple thing that they can do to show that bilateral or or that um, bipartisan support for each other? Have that kind of a form. Um, So instead of it, it, more of a template for people to to start from, instead of here's the pre-written form that they're going to get five copies of, right? connect to those, those deeper, those deeper values um, and give people a pathway that way they they, people are very scared of change and they feel that there, if there's any sense of disorganization or, um, or chaos in the pathway, they're going to get scared. Their brain's going to go into survival mode. They're not, they're literally not going to be thinking um, because they will be in fear mode and then they'll either like hide and stop acting or you might get a few people who are like oh I, I, I'm I'm super anxious and I need to just write stuff and then it's going to take the movement in a completely different tangent um so if you you make it as clear and simple and step by step by step as possible you're going to see huge changes from people in that respect and then the next thing this is this this I think will, is important okay creating your stage, creating a place where you can have this, have this movement become reality, create the space where people are going to come to. So we know that when we look at, especially in politics, when we look at where people are getting their information, um, we can see that there are certain groups of people who are getting very insular information. They're just hanging out with other people who share their beliefs And they're just going back to those same YouTube pages, those same Facebook accounts, those same Instagram accounts. And it's just patting themselves on the back that their idea is right. They're not they're not going across the aisle because that's too radical for them on both sides of of the spectrum. So there isn't anything that's happening in the middle right now. There isn't a place for people to keep coming and to have those conversations. So I would inspire you to find a way to have a stage, either have a podcast or have um, an Instagram show or a Facebook show or a YouTube channel where you go on every day, you wear your shirt every episode and you just say, hey, this is something that I did in my life. This is a conversation that I just had. Or when we have that challenge going, you can say, hey, I just saw this really awesome post from Sally from Nebraska. And she had this amazing conversation that really changed the game for her and her family. And I want to share that with you. So on your stage, you get to show your journey to be the the role model for people who are are interested in this topic. You get to flesh out the, the movement itself. You get to talk about the different aspects of it. You answer anyone's questions that might come up. You show them the wins that the movement as a whole is having. So if you get a response from a a representative who's like, wow, this is really eye-opening this movement, then you're going to share that. You're going to show those wins as small as they might be, as big as they might be. You're going to share every single one of them because when you show momentum, other people are going to get on board. If you don't show momentum, then people don't know that there's actually movement happening. They just see pictures online. They don't see how, what this movement is and how they can really be part of it. So I, I would encourage you in some way, shape or form, you don't have to do it yourself. If you have people in your community and in your network who would be willing to do that, a great way to do that is to hand it off to some of your youth leaders or your community leaders to say, right, let's start talking about this. The more people who have those stages, the more conversations you're creating in that network. You're able to lean on that, that, that human desire to be in those insular backpatting communities, but you're creating them in a space that's positive, that's really going to move your movement forward by saying, all right, let's create these conversations. Let's create this space where we can talk about this. 
How does that sound to you? That sounds like actually the, I like that part the best. I, yeah. I like it. I think you're right. There isn't a space in the middle. I kind of like your middle ground as yeah. the, uh, the identity for the group. But yeah. we got reach across the aisle and we have two parties, one solution. If we introduce middle ground, is that going to be? You could say that middle ground is the movement because it's, it, I see it as being more than just two parties, one solution. Like it's middle ground is about a change in behavior overall. Right. Having our politicians reach across the aisle is just one branch of that. That is, that is a great impact, but it's also in the way that we talk to each other as Americans. It's also in the way that we raise our children. It's also in the way that we engage in our communities as a whole. It's in the way that we shape our future. It's more than just getting our politicians to reach across the aisle. But if we can do that, that's fantastic. So think of it kind of as an octopus. There's a, def- there's a lot of arms, but there's a finite number of arms. You can't, you can't be all about everything at the same time. But if we go back to the women's movement, we think about it in that framework, the women's movement as a movement overall had changes when it came to labor issues. It had changes when it came to pay equity. There was changes in in fashion, literally changes in the clothing that we wore. And it's all part, all tangents of the same overall movement. So if you, but we can't focus all of our energy on everything at the same time. So where your energy is going is into two parties, one solution right now. That's your, your crack in the market. And then as people start to become part of the movement, which is based on conversations, and you really listen to the people in your community and you say, hey, this like kid from inner city Detroit has this really great idea that I had never thought about. And maybe we can start looking at the way that our communities engage in the space around them. And that can be another arm of the movement. Um, But thinking about right now, it's just you at this moment until you bring that collective together and you really identify who's in the movement and what their duties are and how you can get them to help you breathe that movement, right? Expand that circle with every action you take. Once you do that, then you can start to focus your energies in other places. But right now your singular focus is you're looking for that middle ground together. And right now we're focusing the energy on our politicians. Because then things will hopefully come from that, you know, yeah. that bring people on climate change. I mean, I just exactly. see that as the umbrella, you know, under which if we're working together, if we begin to work together, then we work together on everything. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And when you, when you inspire literally a generation of people, you can say, wow, what are those umbrella, those issues under the umbrella that's important to you? Because maybe, maybe climate change is incredibly important to one aspect of the group. And then another aspect of the group is like, yo, we really care about black farmers in middle America. Like that is something that is hugely passionate to us. We want to know more. We want to change change the dialogue around that. Well, that's a part of the umbrella that they can totally be part of. You know, when I think about why, what is the unwillingness to reach across the aisle? Yeah. Why not? And I've done quite a bit of thinking in my blog about how uh, people get elected. And by the time they get elected, they have such loyalty to the people who helped them get elected and rightly so that that's how that strong party affiliation is born. And then it kind of becomes a monster, you know, because then they're locked in. Now they're disloyal if they don't vote with their parties and they stop having individual consciences, stop having the diversity of thinking that we need. So how do we get them to see you know, in the, even like if you go back to the women's movement, there were perceived winners and losers in that movement. You know, when the women got the jobs, that took them away from the men. Yeah. You know, that was how it was perceived by many. Um, there were individual homes that felt threatened by the fact that now the women would have equal say in what was going on. That was going to be chaos. As you said, people are afraid of change. 
So what would we be afraid of? What are people afraid of? What is keeping them from? I I think people are find comfort in the way that things have always been, quote unquote, even though they haven't always been this way. Um, And they, I think they, they always revert back to what is comfortable. And when it, especially when there is that fear of the unknown, So in the women's movement, all of these men were scared because they thought that their jobs were going to go away to women. They thought that their women were now, they were going to have to stay home and cook dinner and and everything was going to change because they didn't have a roadmap. They didn't actually have the ability to see what was possible. And if we look like globally, we can see and we can, you can plot certain movements globally on a timeline and you can, uh, you can examine them based on their relative space and time to previous movements. So like the women's movement in, um, the women's movement in America in many ways, or, okay, I'll speak specifically to what I know from my research. The women's movement in Canada was directly um, inspired by women's suffrage in New Zealand because it took so little amount of time for that movement to kick off and, and actually get results in New Zealand that women in Canada were like, wait, it was that easy? That's, that's, that's all we have to do and the world isn't crumbling down? Okay, cool, let's get on it. Um, same with same-sex marriage in Canada, for example. It, it took like 10 months from the first parliament member who was like, hey, I think this should be a thing until our entire federal government said, yeah, that's cool, and passed all of those laws. And it became a non-issue. But it's because we had other countries to look to to say, oh, their country isn't crumbling down. This is cool. Um, and so if you create that roadmap, if you paint them that picture of what it will look like, so either look for other examples around the world of when this has worked, look for local examples of when it's worked as well. Um, I love America because it is so big. There is so many everythings in America. There is bound to be a community that has tried it differently. There is bound to be an example, even at the micro local level of what this change can look like. If you start collecting those examples and on your show, on your stage, start sharing those examples so that people literally see that difference. They see that it's actually going to benefit everyone. It's not just hyperbole. It's not just people talking about it. But here are examples. Let's paint that picture. Let's have conversations with people who are trying that this new vision, this new way. You're not telling them that when you have when you have a two party system, it becomes my party is better than your party. Right. Instead, give them a completely new path. Say it's not it's not an improvement on the other thing. This is something completely different. We're going to shake this up radically. Don't use the word radical. That scares a lot of people off. (laughs) (laughs) Totally scares people off. But if you have, if you paint them that picture, show them that example and use your community to help you create those resources and create those, those stories to highlight, et cetera, then people are going to be so much less afraid because they're going to actually see that that's the solution I want rather than, oh, it could be, oh, it could be this, it could be that. But instead it's, no, this is what it's proven to already be. So let's move forward with that in a better way. So now we talk about resources. So we have to talk about resources that you currently have. So how do you have people in your network already? I don't have a lot of people in my network. Okay, so that's step one. So we're going to, you're going to create a list. Just, you're going to be like the master of Excel spreadsheets moving forward, Nancy. You're going Uh to create a list of, or maybe that could be resource. Okay. The first group of resources is resources you currently have at your disposal. So either you have a, a giant bank account that you're going to fund this whole thing with, or you have particular skill sets in yourself. You're a great storyteller. You're a connector of people. You have this great t-shirt idea. You have t-shirts already. You have that part of the movement already built out. So write down and just do a mass brainstorm, everything that you currently have tool wise at your disposal, then create a second list. You can do these at the same time. What resources do you need? 
Do you need someone to um, build you websites? Do you need someone to help tell you tell stories? Do you need to find more connections to community leaders? Write down everything that you currently have and everything that you need. And this can be a big wish list. It doesn't matter. We're just brain dumping, getting it all out there. And you, this is going to be an organic document that you just keep coming back to. I have a whiteboard right next to my desk that I'm just constantly, every time I walk by it, I read it. I figure out if there's something I can add. How can I move from the resources I need into the resources that I have? And the easiest way to do that is to then identify who has those resources that you need. Are they part of your community already or are they at arm's reach? Can we get them? Is there one person that can connect you to that person? Once you identify the resources that you have, the resources that you need and the people you have and the people you need, then you can create your action plan. You know where you want people to go. You know kind of the path you want them to take, but now you have a community and resources to actually build you the carriage to actually move the movement forward. Got it. I'm taking notes. Good. Fantastic. <laughs> but I, can listen, I can also listen to this podcast. So <laughs> absolutely. So that that's that's what I got to say about all this. <laughs> Any questions, <laughs> comments, concerns, or knock knock jokes? <laughs> oh, I wish I had a knock knock. I think we maybe need a joke at this point. But... <laughs> oh, well, this has give, certainly given me a lot to think about. Lot to you know, a lot to work on and a lot of hope uh, that maybe there's a path forward. And I, I guess I'm just going to remember that it takes time, you know, to build. A it takes time and it takes connections. Yes. And as, as an English teacher, you know, that uh, storytelling is very important. So oh, keep absolutely. Those stories, keep those stories and find ways to get more of those stories through your people, through your community and inspire them to, to share those moments or even share like the obstacles that they're feeling. Like if they had a conversation that didn't go swimmingly, that they're not maybe wanting to, to say, oh, I did it. I had this great bipartisan conversation. It was wonderful that we can't expect that of every time we connect with people. So finding a way to also um, reassure your people that they're still taking the right steps. They're still moving forward. They're just, it's just going to be a little bit, uh, there's going to be a bump in the road, but it's okay. And, and have an opportunity to, to share those as well. Because if you can help people, if you can give people the resources they need to succeed, they're going to keep going. So if you find, uh, if you find that you're getting a lot of stories of people who are facing those obstacles, find a common thread, find a, maybe even if it's just a simple phrase that someone suggested that they could use to help bring that conversation back or ways to diffuse uh, an angry conversation or a, a really high emotional conversation, give people the tools and the tips that they need to have those conversations, then you're going to have that movement. If you think that you I, I'm, I'm from the generation of environmentalists who always was raised on think local, act global. So if you're thinking think local act, or think national, act local, um, that could help as well. You want to make a national change, but that starts at our kitchen table. That starts well, with the conversations we have with our friends and our families. And I think it goes back to if, if the goal in maybe in, in the if we did like a 10 day challenge or, you know, if the goal is that you just report back, what is it that you learned about that other person and how they feel about a particular issue? If that's the goal, you can be successful. Exactly. Yes. Talking and listening. That's what you got from it. And if that's all we get from it, that's enough for now. Just understanding where they're coming from, because then I'm learning from you. Then the action plan is, how do we, how do we go from there? You know, because uh, the Black Lives Matter here uh, movement really raised awareness for a lot of, a lot of us, you know, and in such a good way, in a way that for me, I didn't even know I needed that awareness raised. Yeah. Like I thought I was okay. I thought I wasn't, 
prejudiced or I wasn't, you know, but so we just keep getting more and more aware, you know, and, and it's a good thing. Oh, can happen. So absolutely. Yay. Nancy, this has been amazing. I've had so much fun chatting with you. Yes. And, and me as well. I've learned so much and, uh, I appreciate it really very much. Thank you. I can't wait to see what you do with this movement. It's going to be incredible. Well, me too. And thank you. (laughs) I hope I can call upon you for help. Absolutely. I continue with the journey. Absolutely. Guys, thank you guys for listening as well. All of you at home on your devices, on your favorite podcast platforms, or maybe in video format on our YouTube page, whichever is your way of connecting to the Lifelong Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. And my friends, I challenge you, head on over to Nancy's website. The links are in the description and the show notes. I want you to see how you can be part of this movement, how you can reach across the aisle and have these conversations that are really going to change not only your community, what's at arm's reach to you, but also you're going to have that ripple effect. When we start those conversations, when we change the way that we talk to each other, when we change the way that we frame our conversations with each other and we realize we are talking human to human and we're not trying to talk to adversaries, we're not trying to butt heads with people, we're deeply trying to listen to understand. That, my friends, is how we are going to change the world. It starts with you. It starts with a conversation. Have that bravery, my friends. Put that smile on your face and go talk to each other. That's it for this episode, my friends. I will see you in our next one. And as usual, my friends, remember, I love you. Be excellent to each other.